Father, we just come to you this evening, Lord. We just surrender our hearts, Lord, our minds. And we pray you, our eternal rabbi, you teach us. You teach us, Lord. You teach us. We are the students, and we by faith want to sit at your feet like Mary and be taught of you, Lord, so that in eternity you will say that one thing was never taken away from you because you did what was right. Help us to hear, help us to trust, help us to obey. We exalt your word above everything else, O Lord, because you have exalted your word above all your name. So we also exalt your word, Lord. Speak to us, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So we look at the question. Uh, Jesus asked the two blind men who followed him in Matthew 10, verse 28. First, he's asking them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And their response is, we don't have to turn there, we know that. And they said, yes, Lord, uh, you know, we, I think it is Matthew 9. We, we believe you can do it. So God, Jesus says in the next verse, let it be unto you according to your faith. Okay. So remember Hebrews 11, 6, always keep it at the back of your mind, not the front of your mind. Don't put it at the back. It is impossible to please God without faith. The entire, our focus of life after we become children of God is to please Him, to please Him. And you will see through scripture about people who did not please him, especially the entire first generation that came out of Egypt, even though they went partook of everything that God had for him. Scripture says God was not pleased with most of them. But when you hear about Jesus Christ, you will see every every word the Father speaks from heaven about his son is, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So without faith, it is impossible to please God. Okay. Now let's fast forward from this incident to another day, another town, another blind man. Now this is in Mark chapter 10 and verse 51 to the blind Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. He also says, Lord, I want to receive my sight. And what is Jesus' response in verse 52? Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Okay, so to him also he says, your faith has made you well. The grace, the power of God is there to heal us, but we receive it by faith. So in both these cases, Jesus puts the honest on the people. Do you really believe me? Do you really believe God can do this? Okay, remember our expectations are limited by our faith. By our faith. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5-7, God will say, my people, we walk by faith, not by sight. Our expectations are always limited by faith. There are two kinds of expectations. Okay, One is the expectations which you have by sight. And everybody has it. I want to study well. I want to get this. I want to get this job. It's all expectations by sight. Then there is the expectation by faith. Most people in the world, Christians, non-Christians, everything, everybody's expectations is from sight. They've seen somebody and they want to be like that. Okay, but the problem is for the believer, God says, thou shall not covet. So we cannot have an expectation that is by sight. We have to have an expectation that is by faith. 
because we have an expectation by sight, it is actually coveting to be somebody else. God didn't ordain us to be. Each one is special, unique, and God has a plan and a purpose for that person. So our expectation should not be from sight, it should be from faith. Okay? Then there are groups or a large group of Christians whose expectation comes from sight, but they try to use faith to get it. Expectation is from sight. I want to be a doctor. And they will start naming and claiming it and confessing it and look through the Bible to see what promises us there which I can claim to get my expectations to pass. They will use, try to use faith or try to use God or try to use the name of Jesus to get it. Okay. Then there is, in the Bible, you will see the group whose expectations come from faith. They hear from God and they receive it through faith. So all these people in the Bible, you will see, they had heard about Jesus and they approached him. But are those who came through expectations, try to use faith, worldly expectation, when they try to use faith, usually Jesus rebuked them. One young man will come and say, Lord, why don't you mediate between my brother and me and try to see that I get my inheritance? Jesus rebuked him. Because his expectation is from sight and he wants God to intervene in it. Or sons of Zebedee, their mother will come and lean down, kneel down and say, Lord, Lord, this is my request that one sits on your right. There is a rebuke there too. Why are you asking? Do you think you can drink this cup? Okay, so you need to realize in the Bible also you will see these differences. People who have expectations in the flesh, in the side, coming to God and trying to get God to work on their behalf. And usually you will see there is a rebuke. So, as Paul wants us in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, always examine your faith. Examine yourself whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Don't test anybody else. Test yourself. You will get the answer. The answer is that Jesus Christ is in you. The answer is not any work. The answer is Jesus Christ is in you. The living word of God. The name of Jesus Christ in eternity is the word of God. That is. So when you have expectations, examine your expectations also. Where is it coming from? Is it coming from sight or faith? Okay? I will give you examples because young people, children, always learn to discern. Okay? Now you are so well versed in the word, so automatically as you grow up, you will start listening to the word from different formats and uh, you have to learn to discern. How do you discern? Where is my expectations coming from? Is it from sight? Is it from faith? Is God using me or am I using God? I will show you a slide which is one of the most well-known prayers of modern time because of television and internet and everything. And I will put it up there on slide number one of this prayer. Okay, This is a prayer that is prayed in a particular church, a very well-known popular church. Okay, this is how they pray when the pastor begins his sermon. Okay, this is the prayer that is prayed. Okay, all the congregation is asked to lift their Bible. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. 
Today I will be taught the word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I am about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. I will never be the same. Never, never, never. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. And catching from it many, many, many churches. Pastors have picked this up and they have made it into like what we say in Hindi, India, mantra. Okay? Now you look at that, okay, look at that, look at that prayer, I mean usually people think it's fantastic, it's wonderful. Now I want you to look at slide two, the same prayer in slide two. This, my Bible, I, 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 my, my, I, 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 I. Do you remember what Satan says? I, 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 I. Do you know what the Pharisee prays? I, 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 I. Be careful. This is not about God. This is about self. This is not about God. This prayer is not about God at all. This is not about God's plan, His purpose, or His will. This is about me. This entire proclamation and confession is about me. I will have what I want. And I'm going to use this and the God behind this to get it. Be very careful. Okay? Now if you come to actual prayer in the Bible, actual Bible, so you have to see the discernment between the kingdom of God and self-proclamation. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your faith in Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What is his prayer? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glories of his inheritance? And then, you know that, right? Did you see the difference? In that prayer, it is not about self. It is about God. It's about his calling, his glory, his purpose. Everything is about his power towards us who believe. With he worked in Christ Jesus, who seated him at his right. It's all about Christ. It's not about self. The two different prayers. Absolutely two different prayers. And church children, you and I, we need to learn to discern truth from error. Because these are very popular preachers. Very, very popular preachers. And the problem is, if we are not rooted in the word of God, and not only that like we sang today, and we have chosen to trust the word of God and obey the word of God, discernment won't come. It's not enough to know the word of God. We need to have a heart that obeys the word of God. Then only God will show us the discernment. There are a lot of people who know the word, but they don't obey. Obey the word. Because the gospel is not about us. It is about him. We are the beneficiaries. But it is all about him. So, the two things which you have to notice in slide one, Okay, if you look at slide one, this is the Bible. I am what it's all about. And then it says, I am about to receive 
What does it say? I'm about to receive the incorruptible, the indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. Let me ask you this question. Is my message equal to the word of God? No. It's not. I'm preaching. And you will see every time we preach, we will use at least 50 scriptures. But when these people preach, there's hardly any scripture. But they are preaching and telling the people, you're going to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God, which is not what they preach. That is not what they preach. So I have already set myself up, if I'm in the congregation, to receive whatever the preacher says, and it is based on the assumption that what follows is biblical and doctrinally true. Well, scripture says the opposite. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, scripture says, test all things, test Test all things, hold fast what is good. Everybody in the congregation is asked to test the message with scripture. Everything. Even Corinthians, Paul will say, if two or three prophets speak, let everybody test what is being. How do you test it? Does it stand the test of the word of God? Does it stand? In Acts chapter 17, verse 10 to 12, Paul will tell, we know that very, Paul will talk about how he came to Berea. We know it very well how he came to Berea and how he preached. And he talks of the brethren immediately St. Paul and Silas away by night. And when they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded, more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with already. They received the word. That's one thing. But they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. We always... From the beginning have taught you, study the scriptures. You don't go by what I say, Pastor Vijay says, or anybody says. It's your God-given duty to test what you hear with scripture. And we make it available to you in audio format and PDF format so that you go through it and take only what agrees with the word of God. Okay. If you don't, then what you see in the error, in the first slide, what you saw in the error. Okay, and I'm going to, young children, I'm going to teach you a new word, or maybe for everybody. It is called equivocation. Okay? You're learning a new word today, okay? Most people won't know it. Meaning, you use the same word, but actually it means something else. In context, different context. So I will show you from English language teaching, slide four. Fine for parking here. Since it was fine, I parked there. Okay? Fine. Both places fine is used. But does it mean the same thing? No. So we'll use the scripture now. Paul says in the letter to Titus, all Cretans are always liars. So all liars are always Cretans. You see, equivocation, how it happens? Okay. You say one thing, but you can take it and turn around to mean it. Something else. All child murderers are inhuman. So, no child murderer is human. I'll give you one which you will like. Heard in Telangana and rest of India. Malus are snakes. 
So all snakes are mallows. Are you getting it? I will tell you why this is so important. Because there are various groups like, you know, among Christians, they take the name of Christ, Mormons. Mormons, or you will see their big church in Secunderabad, Latter-day Saints. They're very evangelistic. They will come door to door. And they will tell you, Jesus of the Mormons is the same as the Jesus of the Bible. What do you say? You say, no, he is not. Why? Because according to what you say, the Jesus of the Bible did not come to America after resurrection. You claim that. But the Jesus of the Bible never went to America after resurrection. Okay? Oh, the Jesus of the Quran is the same Jesus. No, he is not. Because of Jesus of the Quran did not die on the cross. He was taken out. The Jesus of the Bible died on the cross. He was buried and rose on the third day. They are not the same. They are not the same. Understand, the Mary of the Bible, the Mary of the Catholic Church are two different people. They are not the same. They are not the same. Equivocation. Be careful. Be careful. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, this, this word came to us now, but this concept was there right in the beginning. I marvel that you are turning away soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So there were different gospels then itself. Which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached you, let him be accursed. Why should he be cursed? Because if you receive a gospel other than the gospel of the Bible, you will think you are saved, but you will not be saved. And when eternity knocks at your door, you will realize you are in the wrong place. So he says, the one who preaches the false gospel, let him be cursed, because he's taking many with him to hell. As I have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So how do you preach another gospel? Through equivocation. What is the gospel about? The gospel is about grace. It's the gospel of grace. Acts 20 and verse 24 says, None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And it says, Minister which have testified to the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel is the gospel of the grace of God. But what is the warning in scripture? The warning in scripture in Jude chapter 1 and verse 4, only one chapter, verse 4. Certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were made out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn what? The grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord. God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They turn the grace of God as a license to continue with your lifestyle without changing. A license to walk in sin. That's how they pervert the gospel. Ephesians 2.8. So how do they change? The gospel is the gospel of grace. So how do they change the gospel? One of the ways to change the gospel is changing what grace does. Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace you have been saved. The question to be asked is, What were you saved from? First, we are saved in Romans 4.25, from the penalty of sin. 
Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. What am I saved from? I am saved from the penalty of sin. That's the first part of the gospel of grace. Second part of the gospel of grace is I have been saved and I'm being saved and I can be saved from the power of sin. Romans 6.14 will say, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. So God says, under the law, I could understand when people fell and continued in that lifestyle. But under grace, he says, you haven't understood the gospel of grace. And in Titus 2, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And grace of God teaches us what? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, grace, you take the second part of grace out, you have perverted the gospel. And the third part of grace, that is the power of grace. The third part is never preached. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, Paul will say, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Who is he? Probably the greatest servant of God, apostle, humanity has ever seen in history. And he says, how did he become that? He who was a murderer, he who was a legalistic, he who was a Pharisee, how did he become what he became? He says, by the grace of God. And his grace toward me was not in vain because I understood the gospel of grace. I was forgiven from the penalty of sin. I understood I could break the power of sin. Not only that, I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was within me. I also learned how to appropriate the grace of God in my service for the kingdom. That's the gospel according to grace. And God says, Grace will be perverted. Equivocation will make scripture say what it does not say. What it does not say. In 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 14 to 18. Therefore beloved looking forward to these things be diligently to be found by him in peace. Without spot and without blameless. Will God ever ask you to be something which you cannot be? Cannot be. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. But what happens? Which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of scripture. They twist scriptures. They make it to mean something which never was meant to mean. They make it to say things it was never meant to say. And they hide from things what it's actually supposed to do. So equivocation didn't begin now. It began 2,000 years ago when you start making. Fine for parking here. You can turn it around and make it a wonderful news by saying it is fine to park here. You see? You have taken a penalty of the law and made it into a pleasure of life. So that's one gospel you hear. God understands we are living in the age of grace. There's no issues now at all. God understands. As if in the age of law, he was not an understanding God. We have perverted the gospel. We have changed the gospel around. 
See, even if this word is new for us today, the apostles were fighting this from the beginning. Two of the most powerful words in scripture, in experience, is grace and faith. And you can make it to mean what it does not mean. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous of you with your godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, we have not preached. They come and preach Jesus. They don't come preach Muhammad. They don't come preach Krishna. They come into churches and preach Jesus. But another Jesus whom the apostles never preached. Which is not part of the apostolic doctrine. They preach another Jesus. Or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received. Or a different gospel you have not accepted. You may well put up with it. So you receive a different Jesus. A different spirit and a different gospel. All in the name of Christ. In the church. And he says, beware. Beware. That is why this has to be lifted up. Everything tested with the word of God. So you see when people use terms like Jesus, grace, faith, cross, baptism, Holy Spirit, salvation, umpteen terms in the Bible. They mean different things from what exactly the Bible talks about. What scripture talks about. They can take scripture and twist it around because they know the congregation doesn't know scripture. And they will not go back and test what they have heard. And most of these guys are young and they are very charismatic. Not in the charismatic sense of power of God, but very charismatic. But Paul says, when I came to you, I did not come to you like that. With eloquence and wisdom and words, I came with trembling and fear and in the power of God because I was very, very fearful to see that I did not pervert the gospel. I did not pervert the gospel. Now, I'll tell you something else. You know, people are basically programmed to receive whatever they hear and they say. So expectations of people in the past 50 years have changed in India because TV came in. Before TV came in, there was a lot of peace, simplicity, poverty, yes. But that was not a major issue here. People are more happy before TV came in. But when TV came in, and in every TV what you have are programs, right? Through that programs, your expectations started changing. Everything started changing. You have a computer. You know the computer works on programming. And the entire world system is based on programming. And if your minds are programmed, you will receive what you have been programmed for. Therefore, the confessions, what you have heard, is part of programming. You're being programmed. This is my Bible. Then turn from the Bible and the God of the Bible to self. 
I, 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 I. Your mind has already been programmed. I will receive, I will receive, I will. Your mind has been programmed Sunday after Sunday that the one who is going to come and speak, he's speaking the eternal, indestructible, incorruptible word of God. Your mind has been programmed. Then whatever he says, you receive. Because your mind has been programmed. That's not how the apostles preach. They said, test. He said, Paul was said, wow, the Thessalonians were fantastic. They searched the scriptures. They received the word in great uh, affliction. And they received the word of God. All that. Then he says that the variants were more noble than the Thessalonians. Because they daily searched the scriptures to see. Because if you are a true servant of God, you will never fear your word being tested. Because you are not preaching your word. You are just passing on what you received from God. That's what Paul says, what I pass on to you, I receive from the Lord. Every preacher has to receive and pass it on. It is not his word. He may use illustrations, he may explain it, but it is not his word. Therefore, he is not afraid of scrutiny. And he actually encourages people, go home and do your homework. Test the word because I could have gone wrong, but God is never wrong. So there is something which he has given from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, 21. It is already set in, tested with that. Does it apply? People are programmed to receive whatever they say. It's programming that is going on. And then through programming, what happens? We start choosing our teachers. Instead of God choosing our teachers for us. When you go to classrooms, do you t- choose your teachers? Or the institution chooses the teachers for you. No. Institution. But today, no. When it comes to the word of God, everybody is in control. I'm watching this. I'm listening to this. You have become the chooser. You choose. And everyone chooses according to the way their minds have been programmed. They choose. That's the danger. When the Bible says people are responsible for their own souls, the soul that sins shall die. We are responsible for our own souls, so we should test everything that is taught. Somebody did that same prayer in a different format. And I'll put up slide five. That same prayer. Okay. He said, if I were to rework that prayer and make it scriptural, this is how it says. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am, a sinner. I have what it says, a sin problem. I can do what it says I can do. Repent and trust in Jesus alone. Today I will be taught the word of God. I will fall on my face and confess. My mind is depraved. My heart is deceitful and wicked. I will rely on Jesus' atoning work. I will renew my mind on the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. I will never be the same. Never, never, never. You see, the whole prayer has changed. Now the focus is not on you. It is upon his saving power. You're not asking or claiming anything from God other than to save you and keep you with him. Are we getting what is happening in the last days? Why do people get deceived? How do people get, this is said very clearly how they will get, people will get deceived in the last days. In Matthew 24, this is what he said. If anyone comes to you, say, and look, here is the they won't come and say, here is Muhammad, here is, they will say, here is Christ. I will tell you a new revelation I have received from Christ. And you listen to the revelation, if you really know your word, and say, so where did he get this from? It doesn't tally with the word at all. 
Here is Christ. They do not believe it. For false Christ and false apostles, prophets will arise. And what will they show? They will show great signs and wonders. What is the purpose? To deceive if possible even the elect. Even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out there. Look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. The question is, Lord, if this is true, why do you allow it? Why do you allow people to be deceived? Jesus gives the answer in the scripture. We know it very well by now. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 to 12, the lawless one will be revealed. One day, the Antichrist will be revealed and his generation will be revealed. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With what? All power, signs and lying wonders. It's warning Jesus gives constantly and in his ministry also you will see every time they ask for a sign and a wonder, he says only one sign will be given to you. The sign of Jonah. And if you cannot believe on it, no other sign will work for you. And then, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, why do they perish? Only one reason. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. Love of the truth. See, the problem with truth is, truth is uphill. The flesh will fight it every day. Flesh is like a river which goes downhill. But the spirit is like always pushing you up. And every day of your life till your last breath you will have to contend with truth if you want to go up with God. Up with God. And people refuse, struggle to receive the love of us. It's not receiving the truth. Receiving the love of truth. Lord, really tell me who I am. Where am I going wrong? I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to change, Lord. Help me, help me, help me, Lord. Because I look, this is what I want. I want to be like you one day. I really want to be like you one day. That is my primary goal because I see that's the reason for which you saved me. But a lot of people slacken off and they get so busy with other things, forgetting this is the thing that will actually save us and keep us. And for this reason, God will send them what is strong. Delusion was not sent by anybody. It was sent by God. Delusion. They should believe the lie. God allows it. He just takes his hand off. Not that he's sending it. He just takes his hand off. The powers of darkness are waiting to get in when God keeps his hand over there. He says, okay, hands off. They don't love the truth. You can have them. We are deluded. We are deluded. This is what we need to understand. They will believe. That's why scripture says it's impossible to please God without faith. And anybody who comes to God must believe that he is. In true faith, genuine faith, God is the first mover and I am the responder. God is the first mover and I am the responder. I am not the first mover, Lord. I want this, I want this, I want this, and I'm quoting. No, I am not the first mover. He's the first mover. He's the author. I am not the author. But if you look at today's modern, especially what they call word of faith, this thing, he's not the author. I am the author. I'm believing for a house. I'm believing for a mansion. I'm believing for a car, and I'm going to claim it. Who is the mover? You are the mover, not God. But in faith, genuine faith, you are not the first mover. God is the first mover. Always in Bible, you will see he's the first mover. And I am the responder to the move of God. So there is the word of God. 
There is the hearing of the Spirit speaking, and then there is a response. There is, so there is the Word of God, there is the Spirit of God, and the hearers have to respond one way or other. So on the day of Pentecost, if you actually calculate on the day of Pentecost, Peter actually spoke 22 verses that is recorded in Bible has verses. 22 verses has written that Peter stood up and he spoke. Of 22 verses he spoke, 11 verses were scripture. Half of it was scripture from the book of Joel, from Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. That is what he spoke. And when he spoke... God started moving. The spirit of, he spoke the word of God. The spirit of God started moving. And Acts 2 and verse 37 says, now when they heard this, the spirit started his work. They were cut to the heart. And then there is a response from the people. What shall we do? Who moved? God moved. The word of God. The spirit of God. There's a response from man. And they are responding in faith. What shall we do? In Acts chapter, same chapter, verse 41 says, they not only responded in faith, but faith without works is dead. Those who received it acted on their faith. What does verse 41 says? Those who gladly received the word, where? There was an action corresponding to the faith they received. Faith without works is dead. So God moved, the spirit moved, the people responded, and the people believed and the people obeyed. They trusted and they obeyed. Do you see how God is working? How God is working? This is how God works. I could give you examples. After examples in the Bible, the pattern is always, always the same. So don't live by sight and then try to use faith to appropriate it. You will be miserable. The preacher will make a lot of money and he will sell all his books and CDs, but you will be miserable. You are not going anywhere up. You will be on a plateau. On a plateau. Because you are saved, you are on a plateau. But you are not supposed to be meant on a plateau with God. It's a walk up, not a plateau. Because you cannot approach by faith what you received by sight. Because our expectations must come from faith and faith alone. And when we appropriate it, it also must be by faith and faith alone. Let's look at the father of believers for a second. Acts chapter 7, verse 2 to 4. He said, Brethren, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And, said, who is the first mover? God, not Abraham. It doesn't say Abraham was praying and fasting and he received from the Lord. Then Abraham is the first mover. No. I was in fasting and praying when that guy came and knocked on my door and gave me the gospel. I wasn't even praying. I was hiding from him. It was God who moved. We all think we accepted the Lord. God says, no, I sent my spirit to you and you received him. I was the one who moved first. He spoke to him. Get out of your country from your relatives. He didn't say it in that tone. He just said it mildly. Get out of your country from your relatives. Okay. To the land I will show you. God spoke and he came out of the land of Chaldeans and dwelt in. God spoke, Abraham believed and Abraham obeyed. This is it. He, verse 4, what does it say? Yeah. Abraham came out. So he obeyed. It's not that I heard, I believed, I like it very much and I'm going to have a worship service in my house in Ur. No, he obeyed. 
He got out. Okay? It is an obedience of faith, not sight. Not obedience of faith. If God were to come and tell you, Moses, Peter, go to Calcutta. Very easy. Right? Book a ticket, go to Calcutta. But that's what, not what the book of Hebrews says. In Hebrews 11, Abraham went without knowing where he was going. It's 11.8. 11.8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. That's the only way you can walk with God. God doesn't give you the entire blueprint. He says, move on. As you move on with me, I will show you where I am taking you and how I am taking you. Sight already has the plan ready. All it's saying, Lord, send us the funds. Already decided 10-year program of the church. All we need is Lord money and we are coming to you by faith that you will provide the money for our program. But that's not how faith works. Faith works as you go along, God shows you how you need. And it's not easy unless you choose to walk with him. That's why sight is easier. Sight is much, much easier. In Genesis 12 and verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country. This is years later, not the beginning in the earth. This is in Haran, where he got stuck because of his father. Get out. Verse 4, Abraham departed. He obeyed. So who is the first mover? Abraham. Who is the one who, uh, God, who is the one who obeys? The person who hears. In Genesis chapter 15, we have an issue. Years have passed by. What happens to many believers after some years of walking with the Lord? They get, okay, this is all God wants me to do. Fine. We sit down there. God comes and says, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But now, he's blinded by sight. What does he say? Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing that I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. All these promises are great, but when I look around, I only see Eliezer. What are you going to give me? No expectations. Because the expectations have been hemmed him by sight. That's why faith is an ongoing journey. You cannot mix faith and sight. You see, he's not saying, Lord, okay, here, your servant, Lord, wait, what do you say? No, he says no. So what does God do? God takes him outside and changes it. Verse 4. He Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This is the second time, saying, This one shall not be heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven. Count the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, so shall your dissonance be. He said, you got a problem, Abraham. Come, let me show you. Look up. Can you count? No. That's how your dissonance shall be. Now expectations are changing because the word of God is received. But the problem is, it is not enough to receive a promise. It can be worked out only by faith. It cannot be worked out by sight. The promises of God has to be worked out also by faith. 
the grace of god has the work of god also has to be worked out by grace it cannot be worked out by flesh so what will happen a little later in genesis 16 verses 1 and 2 sarah abraham's wife had borne him no children and she had an egyptian maid servant whose name was hagar so sarah said to abraham see now the lord has restrained me from bearing children please go into my maid perhaps i shall obtain children by her he listened to her voice okay received a promise in faith now working it out by sight and that's what lots of believers to do they receive a genuine promise from god and they won't wait they don't want they don't understand god will do it only in his time if he has promised he will do it in his time just wait and just wait and let god move abraham is not waiting sarah is not waiting they said we will take god's promise into our own hands and work it out and they will use the name of god there the lord has restrained me the lord has not restrained her you are not restrained i am restrained so we can still work it out these are the two mistakes believers make you have a genuine word from god but you try to work it out in sight and we all have done this or second mistake we have all the expectations from the world that is sight now you try to pump faith into it by claiming confessing binding releasing you know we have all these techniques from the world we have learned but we don't realize what we received was not from the lord what we received was from the world and then when it doesn't happen you become angry with god and if it happens a little days later you cool off and leave god and no more church nothing because you got what you wanted that's the only reason you that's why jesus asked the leper where are the others how many of you were there okay. how where are the nine they got what they wanted they didn't come back so when it comes to faith remember hebrews 12 and verse 2 looking unto jesus the object of of our faith is not what i have to do the object of my faith is jesus and who is he he is not only the author he is also the finisher he is also the one who works it out it is not enough to receive a word from god and receive it by faith you also have to by faith allow him to work it out and he does it in his ways in his time he is not only the author is also the finisher or the perfecter of our faith that is why we ask those questions it is important to know who is he anyone who comes to god must believe that he is who is he who is he let me try to give in the limited time i have a very few few characteristics of who he is okay just just picking up of the billions just for today so that our faith is based on scripture so that we know who he is so we understand looking unto jesus the perfect image of god the father who is he what is he like first thing romans 9 verse 2 verses 9 to 11 tribulation anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the jew first also of the greek but glory honor peace to everyone who works what is good to jew first also to the greek for there is no god is not partial God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. First thing you need to understand is God is not like a human being. He is not partial. He doesn't look at the color of your skin, the size, the weight. 
your eloquence. He doesn't look at any of these things. He's not partial. Paul will say the same thing in Acts chapter 10. Then, sorry, Peter. Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. No partiality in every nation. Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him because he was stunned when the Holy Spirit fell upon the Samaritans. And he said, wow, I always knew God was not partial, but now I see he's not partial at all. Anybody, Jew or Greek or Samaritan, it doesn't matter. God accepts everybody who fears him. God is not partial. First thing we need to know today. Who is he? He is somebody who is not partial. Second thing which you need to know about God. Okay, I'm not saying in any order. This order I'm giving you today to understand who he is. Second Timothy chapter 2. If you are faithless, he is but it's another thing you need to know about God. Not God is not only impartial, He is faithful. You can't find faithful people. We all have failed in our faithfulness, but you can find one person who is always faithful to His word. And when you see Jesus coming, He's faithful towards all His children, and He's faithful to punish all those who rebel. He's faithful. In Revelation 19, when you see Jesus getting ready to make judgment upon the world, what is he called? Now I saw heaven open, behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful. If he is not faithful, we are idiots who preach about hell and judgment. Why do we preach about judgment and hell? Because we know he is faithful. Therefore, we have to warn people of the danger that is coming. That you should be sure we have believed on the real Jesus and heard the real gospel. And you have not received the grace of God in vain. Why? Because he is faithful. This is a scenario when he is coming to judge and make war. Who is he? True and faithful. 6,000 years are up. Time is up. I am faithful to my word. I waited. He is faithful. So he is impartial. He is faithful. Another thing which, who is he? Numbers 23 verse 19. God is not a man that he should. God doesn't lie. We can't find anybody who hasn't lied in history, human history. But God is not a man. So imagine he's impartial, he's faithful, he does not lie. Another characteristic of God for tonight, Hebrews 13.5 and Malachi 3.6. I am the Lord God, I do not. God doesn't change. We change like chameleons. Like the Hyderabad weather. Forecast says bright, immediately it starts raining. Evening, it says it's raining and it's clear. But God does not. God does not change. So get these four for tonight. Who is God? He is impartial. He is faithful. He does not lie. And he is unchanging. We saw on Sunday how God is impartial. His promise to King Saul, a keeper of donkeys, to King David, a keeper of sheep, King Solomon, a young, wonderful prince who grew up with no suffering, no pain in all ambience, and the employee in Solomon's court, Jeroboam, all were the same. Would we do that? That's what James writes in the church. Be impartial. A rich man comes, a poor man comes. Don't tell the poor man to sit at the back and tell the rich man to take a better seat. He says, be very careful because our God is not partial. Donkey's keeper, Shepherd, prince, official, God says, if you're faithful to my word, 
your house will endure. We saw that. Jeroboam had an incredible promise in 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 38. Same promise. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you. I will tell you what to do. It's already been told. Walk in my ways. Do what is right in my sight. To keep my statutes, my commandments, as my servant David did. Then I'll be with you and build for you an enduring house. This the only thing is that honest is on you. Will you obey what you know? What has been told? Will you obey? When God spoke to him, he is living in Solomon's kingdom. Solomon is not dead. Solomon is king of Israel. Judah and Israel are one nation. Solomon is alive. And God is telling Jeroboam, Jeroboam, Solomon will die one day. When he dies, I will divide the nation and I will give you ten tribes. God has spoken over you. There is nothing even King Solomon can do. Verse 40. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt and lived there until the death of Solomon. See, there's no difference between Solomon and King Saul now. King Saul is trying to kill David, Solomon is trying to Jeroboam. Both cannot be killed because there is a promise of God resting upon them. That's why I said everything begins with God. If you have received a promise from God concerning your destiny and you have kept his word, obeying his word, the powers of hell, the powers of this world can do whatever they want. You cannot be destroyed until it comes to pass in your life. Because God has spoken. God has spoken. God spoke over David. God spoke over Jeroboam. Both the kings couldn't do anything. Because God is faithful. He's not a respecter of persons. He's not a person. He keeps... He keeps his word. He is faithful. Solomon will die and Rehoboam, his son, will take over. What problem with this young man? God sees the end from the beginning. He knows the choices we will make. So God is always thinking about Israel and he's thinking about his children. He's a hot-headed young man who won't listen to godly advice. Solomon had taxed the, I'm giving you history, okay, taxed the burden, the people too much. All his wisdom was useless at the end. He taxed the people too much, burdened them too much for his pleasures to build palaces and houses and all his things. He taxed. And that's what churches also do. They tax the people, tax the people, tax the people for their programs. More building, more building, more building. Instead of taking care of the orphans and the widow, they're more building, taxing the people. That is Solomon's wisdom. So Solomon is dead. Rehoboam is king. Jeroboam comes back. And he gathers Israel and goes to Rehoboam. And appeal to him. In 1 Kings chapter 12, you will see he's the leader. Natural leader. Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke which you put on us. We will serve you. So he said to them, depart for three days then come back to me. And the people depart. Rehoboam said, okay. Give me three days. And then come back to me. First he sought the council of elders. Elders gave him very good advice. Verses 6 and 7. King Rabam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he was still, he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today, serve them, answer them, speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. They said, you know what? Do this. You are a king. 
But you need to understand the heart of God in the law. Kings are called to serve their people, not burden them. Jesus will say later the same thing. He said, the Gentiles lord over the people. Lord, you should not be like that, he told the disciples. They lord over the people. Did you receive the advice? No. That's what a lot of hot-headed young people do. They are in a situation, they will come first for counsel. They listen to the counsel, they didn't like the counsel. So they will go to what? Their peer group. Macha, what do you say? Verse 8 to 11. He rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him. Who stood before him. And he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer these people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us. And they are all macho guys. They said, yeah, this is what you need to do. Young men who had grown up with this spoke, thus you should speak to these people who have spoken to you. Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. I'm going to fix you. That's what happens. That's what happens. That's the problem with the young men's counsel. If you don't drink, you will if you don't drink, you are not a man. Wear bangles. That's the advice, counsel your peer group gives. Always pushing you to do wrong. Not to serve, but to rule, to oppress. Three days later, the people come. Rehoboam gives his this thing. The people rebel and they live. They say to heck with David's house. That's what they literally say. So we will go back. And they all went. It's interesting. God is working through it all. Rehoboam is mad. He raises up 120 or 100,000 soldiers to get ready for war. Then verse 15, God intervenes. What does scripture say? God this, did not listen to the people for the turn of the event was from the Lord that he might fulfill his word which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shinoite to Jeroboam. Through it all, God is working. We are looking at the events that is happening in Israel and saying, why is Rehoboam like this? Why are the people like this? What is happening? God had already spoken something and it is coming to pass. His word will not go void. You know Isaiah 55? Has he spoken? Verse 11. What does he say? My word that goes from my mouth, it shall not return to me void. Did I say Jeroboam will be king? He will get ten tribes? It will happen. Things will fall into place where he will get ten tribes. It will come to pass. It will come to pass. Jeroboam doesn't have to do one thing. God is fulfilling his word. You need to realize, we don't have to help God. We just have to trust God and obey what he says. He will fulfill his word if he has spoken over us. Jeroboam doesn't have to do one thing. When the people, Rehoboam gathers all the army and gets ready to fight. In 1st Kings chapter 12, verse 20, it came to pass when all Israel heard Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him, called him to the congregation, made him king. And there was none who followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah alone. They called Jeroboam and said, you are king. You are our king. Did he do one thing? No, the people called him. Will Rehoboam keep quiet? In verse 21, scripture says he gathered an army. He's getting ready to fight. He came. 
180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel. Now what is this? This is going to be fatricide. Fatricide is what? Brothers killing each other. What is what happens here? God intervenes. So nobody will fight. Nobody's gonna fight over here. It's just me who is making all this decision. Not Rahabam or Jarabam. In verse 22 to 24, but the word of the Lord came to Shammai, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rahabam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin and the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up nor fight against your brother and the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. Not one hand was raised. Because Rehoboam was willing to hear and Jeroboam was willing to wait. Can we? Do you think God needs help? Do you think if God has spoken something over your life, it will not come to pass? What is received by faith is also appropriated by faith and not by sight. Trust and obey. I'm very happy we sang that song today. In Isaiah 55, I don't know whether I gave you that portion 7 and 9. God says, let the wits wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let them return to the Lord. And he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Why? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heaven is, we know this. There are two things God says we need to deal with. One, my thoughts, which will determine my ways. He says, forsake your thoughts, you will forsake your ways. Forsake your That is what the purpose of the pulpit is, to change your thinking and align your thinking to the word of God. As a man thinks, so he is. You have to align your mind to the word of God, where you are praying. So Jesus was asked, teach us to pray. And he said, this is how you knew to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is heaven, aligned with his will and his purpose. Not, I have, I have, I have, I have, I am this, I am. No, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is what I am, aligned. So our circumstances do not make us. Our choices make us. To make right choices, I need to know the thoughts of God. As our thinking changes, Our way too will change. Our way too will change. Know that. If you look at Rehoboam, Solomon's son, he's just two generations away from David the psalmist and one generation from Solomon the teacher. But the question is, will he learn? Will he learn? Do you know what was told to the kings of Israel before any Israelite ever became a king? It was told by Moses to God. One day you will have kings. And this is what you are supposed to do. O king, this is what you are supposed to do. Deuteronomy. So it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom. What will he do? He shall write for himself a copy of this law as a book. Everybody claims a new covenant. I am a royal. Okay, you are kings. And prospective kings and queens in the kingdom. What does God say? If you are a real king and a queen, have a personal copy of the word. Not sharing. Personal copy of the word of God. King, let him have a word. Two, which is before the priest, and it shall be with him. And he shall read it 
all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. The first thing, what should a king do? Not gather an army, get a book. What? This book. Read it all the days of your life. Learn to fear God, understand who he is, understand his nature, understand his faithfulness, and then be very clear to observe it. That's the first thing. He went for the king, not for a common man. Common man, king, everybody got this one book. But most of us are like Rehoboam, sadly. We see God when we are weak or when we are in trouble. And when we are blessed, when we have enough money, strength, position, we cool off in seeking God and His way. That's why God always loved David. Never, David rarely cooled off from seeking God. He sinned and then God wouldn't speak to him and he was miserable. Not Solomon, not the other kings. Few kings in Israel. So when as soon as Rehoboam becomes blessed, he does what many people do. In Second Chronicles chapter 12 verse 1. And it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself that he forsook the law of the Lord. When he forsook the law of the Lord, all Israel also forsook the law. The king is not keeping the law. Why should we keep the law? As soon he was strengthened, he thought, I have arrived. Now I don't need this. He was not being used by God. He was using God. He forsook the law. Okay. Suddenly the narrative will change in verse 2. It's interesting how the narrative, you have to read Bible, very interesting, very like, it's gripping, even if it's history, we get bored, but you have to ask God, show me Lord. And it came to pass, when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. And what does verse 2 say? Yeah. And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord, it's interesting. Do you see how that narrative changes? It's funny, right? Why? God does not directly intervene in the lives of any other nation on earth in history. If you look Old Testament history. But he will always intervene in the case of Israel. Why? Because Israel is different. In Exodus 4 and verse 22, what is God's first declaration through Moses to Israel to tell the Pharaoh? You shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son. And if your son transgresses, what do you do? You discipline him. Other nations could do whatever they wanted. God didn't intervene. He let them go their way. But when Israel transgressed the law, he immediately intervened. Israel is a son. What does Hebrews 12, verse 5 and 6 say? You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons and daughters. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. He says, if you are a son, you will be disciplined. Discipline is a sign of sonship. Is Israel a son? Has Rehoboam and Israel thrown the law of God? Immediately whom did God send? What does verse 2 say? Whom did God send? Sishak, Egypt came. Egypt is God's rod in his hand to discipline Israel. We know our history. When the Cholas fought, Cheras, the Mughals fought, the, uh, the Nizams and Sparta fought Greek and all that. That was just history. 
They were not being used as sticks by God against anybody. They say, you fight, you do whatever you want to do. But when Israel, my son, transgresses, what will I do? They have transgressed against the Lord and I will use Egypt as a stick to discipline. God will use Gentile kings to disciplining stick on the rebellious son Israel. So don't read the events in our own lives like you read other lives. It is not the same. If you are a child of God, read the events in your life differently. Don't read it. Is, this is happening to Gentile. That's happening to Gentile. So it's also happening to me. God says no. Tolas fought Cheras. Mughals fought Nizams. But I told Egypt, go beat Israel up. Because he is my son. And in verse 5 of Second Chronicles chapter 2, God will give the reason also. We need to have a reason, no? If, you, if your father calls you and just whacks you without telling you what is he whacking for, it looks silly, right? Verse 5. So the lead, no, no, five, five, not six. What does it say? Then Shammai the prophet came to Rehoboam, the leaders of Israel who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Sishak and said to them, thus says the Lord, you have forsaken me and therefore I also left you in the hand of Shishak. You have forsaken. That's why Egypt has come. The question is, if you are going through a crisis, what will you do? You have the info of God's thoughts and ways in a particular matter. What will you do? God says, this is what you did. This is what, why it's happening. Then you have two choices. And God gives the choices in his Bible. Everything is there in scripture. I'm not going outside scripture. I'm telling you everything is there in scripture. In first Isaiah chapter 1, 19 and 20, God says you have two choices. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the Good of the land. I'm telling you what's your problem and this is my discipline. If you're willing and obedient to my discipline, you will eat the good of the land. On the other hand, if you refuse and rebuke, you will be devoured by the sword. You can choose. You can choose. Rehoboam sees sense. In verse 6 we saw he and Israel humbled. So the leaders of Israel, the king humbled themselves and they said the Lord is righteous. Lord is, it's interesting. I'm looking at it and I'm wishing, Lord, I wish I knew all this 20 years ago. I'm learning so much parenting from here. Verse 7, God's response. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord Shammai came saying, they have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Sishak. Okay? You catch your son. He's done something. You catch him and you tell him, this is what you did. This is what you're going to get. And then he says, I acknowledge, I'm sorry. So what do you say? Okay, I'm not going to spank you. Instead, you are grounded for 30 days. No TV, no this thing, no going out, no friends coming home, 30 days grounded. I was planning to spank you, but because you have humbled yourself, I still have to teach you a lesson that actions have consequences. Therefore, I'm going to ground you for 30 days. Here, God says, I see you have humbled themselves, but they brought themselves to this point. So, I still have to teach them a lesson. I will not destroy you. I won't destroy you. I'm not going to cane you, but you have to learn. 
What is, what is the lesson you have to learn from this? Don't transgress the law. It will not go well with you. God says, I'm going to teach you a lesson, but not the way I initially thought. But I'm changing my mind, but you still will be punished. What is the reason? Verse 8. I'm sorry, Sammy, I didn't give it to you. God doesn't do things without saying it's all in scripture. Nevertheless, they will be his servants. What? Israel and the king will be the servants of whom? Sishak, Egypt. So they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of nations. David, I told you, don't do these things. You knew my law. Okay? I gave you the liberty to walk with me. I blessed you, gave everything what you wanted. I gave you. Then you broke my law and took another man's wife. Are you happy? Live a season in misery. Cry. Let your bones waste so that you will know the difference between serving me and serving the devil. Know it. So that you will know the difference. Only sons will know that. Others won't know that. Some sons love serving the devil. We would know the difference between serving God and serving sin. You getting the picture? Let me ask you the question. Why was Israel set free? For what purpose was Israel set free? Pharaoh, let Israel is my firstborn, my son, let him go free. Reason? Verse 23, the next verse. Let my son go that he may. We were called to serve him. Not serve sin. Not save the devil. Not save the world. Not save ourselves. We were called to serve him. We were called to worship him. We know that. New covenant. We are kings. We are sons. In 1 Peter 2, 9, what does God say? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that he may proclaim for what? The praise of him. We were called to praise him, to worship him and serve him alone. That's the reason we were set free from the power of sin. We were set free from the captivity of sin, not to lead our own life back in the world. We were set free from the power of sin so that we may serve him. I saw him. Did you understand the reason behind your salvation? God saved us so he had nothing else to do? No. He said, I saved you for a purpose. You were serving sin and the devil. Now I have saved you so that you would serve me. But if you go back to him, then I will have to teach you lessons so that you understand it is not fun serving Egypt. So what happens here? They are living under Egypt. In verse 9 and 10 of the same chapter, what does Sishak Egypt do? He came up again Jerusalem, took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. What happens when you come under the bondage, the rule of the devil? First thing that you lose, you lose your worship. You lose your service. What does he take? He takes the Glory of your worship away. And what does a man like Rehoboam do who doesn't repent and cry out like David before the Lord in ashes? What does he do? He will replace the gold shields with bronze. Color is the same. Value is not the same. Value is not the same. 
From far away when you look, oh, the king's soldiers are still carrying gold, but they are not gold. It is bronze. Your worship has changed. You have a form, but you have missed what is inside. See what scripture is teaching us? Gold is gone, unreplaced with brass. What did God tell Israel? I will take your brass and give you gold. I'll take your iron and give you silver. And when you disobey God, what does a man do? He replaces gold with brass. Worship goes on, but it is just a cheap imitation with form but no substance. Why does Israel go down like that? The reason is because Israel or Rehoboam, like us, often listens only in times of trouble. First time when all Israel came to fight against him, he listened. Second time when Shisha came, he listened. Other times he never sought the Lord. But what was the root of his problem? Root of his problem. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 14, he did evil. Why do we do evil? Because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. That's the reason. He did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Alas, he did not prepare the heart to seek the Lord. That's the reason. We don't have time. Are we getting what God is trying to talk about? Have we got? Actually, you will probably on Saturday I will teach the pastors. We will look at parallelly Rehoboam and Jeroboam and see how both went down in the same manner. Both went down in the same manner. Both. Because our problems begin where? Here and here. We don't set our hearts to seek the Lord and try to understand how does God think because he does things because he thinks this way. And we need to start aligning our thoughts with God so that we will start changing our ways. Our problems all begin here. So here is Rehoboam. Here is Jeroboam. And then what does scripture say about Jeroboam? I'll close. I'll close in two minutes. I don't want to finish just suddenly in the middle. Okay. Shall we go to the next one? Yeah. Jeroboam built Shishem in the mountains. Ephraim dwelt there. He went out from that built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, what did he say? That the kingdom may return to the house of Rehoboam. How can it return? Didn't God speak to you? Where does it begin? Begins here. Your thought is not aligned with what God has spoken to you. You are starting to think differently. Did you do anything to get the kingdom? No. So why do you think the God who gave you the kingdom cannot keep the kingdom for you? All you need to do is follow him, right? He thought in his heart. He thought in his mind. It was David who called God or God who called David? Is David who asked God to anoint him or God anointed David? Is David who is protecting 
God who protecting David from Saul or is David fighting and winning over Saul? It is God, right? God has kept you, right? You will see the same pattern. We have known it. First Samuel chapter 27 verse 1. David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. How can you perish? Don't you have a promise over you? Don't you have an anointing over you? And don't you have an experiences line behind you about the faithfulness of God? Then how can you perish? And he believes that thought. Like Jeroboam believes the thought. And both go down. For 16 months, David's life is a nightmare. In absolute blackness. The end result of following a thought in David's life. 16 months later, is summed up in two verses. David and his men came to the city. There it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no power to weep. Why? Where did it begin? Began with a thought. Thought led to an action. Actions led to other actions. This is the end. That's why God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. It all begins with a thought in opposition to the promises and the commands of God. So what are we told to do in the Bible, in the New Covenant, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, what does God say? Did I give you that, Sammy? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, what does God say? Bring every thought. 10. Not 5.10, but 10.5. Bring every thought. Pull it down. Pull it down. Casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against what? Knowledge. Who is he? Is your thought exalting above who he is and what the word says he is? Bringing every thought into the captivity of what? To the obedience of Christ. Our obedience is not enough. We need the obedience of Christ. Go read Hebrews 5 and understand what is the obedience of Christ. He says, that is what you should be able to aim. Don't get satisfied with your spiritual life. You should be content only when you realize every thought has been brought to the obedience of Christ Jesus. Till then, it's a fight. It's a battle. And it will be all your life. Every thought has to be pulled down. Evil thoughts will lead to evil ways. It may not look evil at that time. It may look very rational and very wise. But if it doesn't agree with the word of God, it takes you down. Ultimately, Rehoboam and Jeroboam will deal with God's word the same way. To Jeroboam, God will ultimately say, what will he say ultimately to Jeroboam? Rehoboam, we know what he said. You thought evil in your heart, always. And to Jeroboam, what does he say? First Kings chapter 14. Verse 9, you have done more evil than all who were before you. You have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger. But why? Why did you do all this? Because you have cast me behind your back. That's the reason. You took this, put it behind, instead of putting it ahead. You cast me behind my back. That's why you ended up like this. Don't take the word of God lightly. Young people sitting over here, don't take it lightly. Your life is dependent on this, on the word of God. The grace of God is given for that purpose. Oh no, fight the word. Don't battle the word. Nobody has ever fought the word and won in human history. 
Everything is held together by the power of God's word. Don't fight it. And the Holy Spirit is given to show us the truth in God's word. And when we keep that truth, we are set free. That's liberty. That's true liberty. True liberty comes only when we have surrendered ourselves to the revealed word of God. Be very careful. Ask God for discernment because there are a lot of preachers who have crept in. And they will twist the word of God and it looks so nice, so nice, so nice. Because it appeals to you. How? But you listen to the gospel, they preach, it's all about you. It's not about him. Not about him. They haven't understood his ways or his thoughts. We have to constantly seek him in our heart. Rehoboam did not seek God in his heart. And Jeroboam put him behind his back. Two young men just went down. Did they have promises? Yes. Did they have upbringing? Yes. Did they were given the word? Yes. Did they keep the word? No. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, we just come to you this evening, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. As we learn, as we hear, as we meditate upon your word, Father, your word keeps telling us, consider the kindness and the severity of God. Help us not to change who you are. You are the kindest person we'll ever, ever meet. If you seek your ways, seek your thoughts, align our thoughts and our ways with you, we will experience your kindness and you will protect us. He will give us victory over sin, over the devil. And even in death, in pain, in tribulation, in all of that, we will be still victorious. But the key your word is, we should receive the love of the truth. Help us not to be gullible, Lord. Help us not to be fooled by smooth preachers. Help us to divide your word correctly. Help us to receive your word as it is. Allow scripture to interpret scripture. Because our circumstances do not define us. It's our choices that will define every one of us here. And help us to make the right choices always in the light of your word. Commit everyone in your house today, especially the children, Lord, young and old. I commit the children into thy hands and I pray, Lord, you will put the love of God's word into their hearts. They will see how three young men who had incredible promises when they were young, Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, all young, messed up the promises of God over their lives because they put God and his word behind them. And I pray every one of us here will learn to keep you in front of us. That will keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord. Teach us, Lord, to walk by faith. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.